Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Amen. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. I'm going to try to uh, speak a little louder today. I don't know if some of you noticed this, but um, our speakers are, uh, they're going out. Uh, I don't know if you're having a hard time hearing today, but uh, it seems like the devil shows up on Sunday and lands in the speaker system or technology somewhere. He has a way of doing that. I remember one Sunday, uh, I don't know why the bird decided Sunday would be the best day to come through some of these uh, Whatever, he got a blackbird got in here, and I tried to compete with him all Sunday morning. But uh, it's okay, we'll try to find a solution to this. I wonder, don't you, how, how did Joshua and Moses address millions of people without technology? One day in heaven, we'll, we'll ask him that question, but uh, I'll try to speak up a little bit. If you need to move closer, you have my permission. All this empty space, right? You just come on down, all right? But I will try to project, as they taught us in uh, speech class way back in the college days. Good to have you here. We're going to be talking today, speaking on the subject, a topical series we're in on just basic, the basics of uh, just the basics of Christian living. And we've talked already about the Bible and Bible study, how we should read the Bible, reread it, reflect, record, rejoice in what we've been taught. And today, uh, we're going to go to the subject of prayer. I met uh, a pastor one time. He was pa- had pastored for many, many years, and he said, you know what? He says, I feel like by now I can preach a pretty decent message. I've had experience in that, but he said, you know what? I don't think that, uh, I, don't think that I can even tie my shoes in prayer. You feel that way? Sometimes we, we think, you know what? I know a lot about God, but I really don't know God very well. What is prayer? Prayer is that conduit, that bridge of communication with God. So let me, let me ask you a question. This personal God that's a knowable God, how much time just this week have you spent in prayer? Maybe you're like that preacher who admitted, I don't think I can even tie my shoes when it comes to the topic of prayer. How well do you know God? Do you know that communication line is open? God is leaning from the battlements of heaven to hear you talk to Him. And so He's inviting us to become proficient in prayer. The disciplines of the godly life today are subject really is the attitudes necessary in prayer. We'll be getting to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you need a stopping place, Jeremiah chapter 29 in just a few moments. Let me begin with this question this morning concerning prayer, the purpose of prayer, the chief purpose of prayer. Let me give you three choices. Why are we to pray? Are you ready? Class, here we go. To get things from God. To get folks to get right with God. Or thirdly, is it to know God and His will for my life? Well, you could say yes to all of these things because they're all 
purposes in prayer, but the main reason we are to go to God is that we might know Him and know His will for our lives. We ought to go to Christ in prayer with a craving, Lord, uh, I'm so thankful that you are knowable and I want to know you, to communicate, to listen to you, and crave for your will to be done. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, we're going to talk about prayer for the next few minutes. And I would admit uh, from my own heart that I'm a babe in the woods when it comes to this prayer, the prayer of life, the prayer of God from my heart and life to you. And Lord, I pray that with the disciples that you would teach me, you would teach us this morning how to pray. What a privilege it is to have the ear of God. And I pray this morning that you would teach us kindly how to be more effective, more consistent, more compassionate in our prayer life. And Lord, I pray that you would be the honored God of our hearts when it comes to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. The purpose of prayer is to know Him. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Too many folks, I believe, run to His presence with a quick request. Are you like this? You kind of plug in prayer wherever you can, just here and there, willy-nilly. Uh, maybe you're like the guy who prays on his way to school, Lord, I'm, I'm in McDonough traffic, <laughs> and I've got 11 stoplights between me and the school, and I'm going to drop off my children, so Lord, turn all the lights green. Maybe you've prayed prayers like that, or Lord, if it be thy will, bring some money in this week, just a little extra, because inflation is killing me. Joey needs to go to the dentist, and we like to go to at least one Braves baseball game. Is that asking too much, Lord? You can check the record. I haven't asked for much. Would you please bring in a little extra? Or maybe you've got an event scheduled outside. Lord, please, would you uh, change the forecast and make it sunny on my day outside? Because we've got to do stuff outside. Prayer may be, for some of you, just like a necessary habit or ritual. Before you eat, in your house, you pray. It's a habit. It's a good habit. And the other time or other times you might pray is when? Right before you get in the van or the car or whatever, the vehicle to go on a long trip, let's say at least over 100 miles, then you pray. You bow your head in the driveway, and that's a good habit too. Say, Lord, get me through Atlanta traffic, amen? It's a jungle out there. So you pray before you eat, before you travel, perhaps before, during, or after a crisis you pray. On the way to the hospital, you're not sure about the diagnosis, but Lord, protect my life. Help, if it is something, Lord, help it to be something that the doctors can treat. Lord, preserve my life. We've all prayed these prayers. They're called prayers that are occasional and typically self-preservational. That's the way we tend to pray. Lord, may this food preserve my strength. May you preserve my safety. And may you preserve, of course, my health. Uh, so let me be a little facetious, if I may, this morning and uh, talk to you about your model prayer. We know that the Lord gave us a model prayer, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 6. Lord, 
We say, as we pray, our Father which art in heaven, heaven, give to me is thy name. Give to me strength. Give to me safety. Give to me security. Long life. Uh, Lord, for my kingdom needs to come and my will must be done on earth. Because, Lord, I'm not quite ready for heaven. Kenneth Wilson writes about the bellhop view of God. There's something he says exquisitely nice or luxurious about room service. Ever been to one of these nice hotels? I mean, you saved your money, and it's the kind of hotel that has a bellhop or room service, and you can just dial in. He goes on to say, somebody, if you pick up the phone and ask, is ready and waiting to bring you breakfast, lunch, dinner, a chocolate shake, whatever your heart desires and your stomach will tolerate, you just get on the phone and you call them. And here they come, knocking at the door. If you need a, a shirt pressed or cleaned or a suit cleaned, you can just call and immediately someone comes running. He says that's the concept some of us have of God. He's a bellhop. He's at our beck and call, our heavenly room service. He says this, furthermore, there's no tipping involved. Everything is charged, that great credit card in the sky. And we come, get the t-shirt, I'm favored of God. God is my room service. Now prayer, he says, is many things, but I'm pretty sure that's not one of the things it is. Let me ask you a question. We've all prayed to get things from God, haven't we? Is that wrong? You can do this. The Lord asks us, invites us to pray about everything in life, the little things. Remember in his prayer that he taught the disciples, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. So it's not wrong to ask God for stuff, for things. In the Old Testament, we see Joshua asking God for more time, more daylight. For his battle, we see Hannah asking God, please, pleading with God, would you give me a son? We ask, or we see Hudson Taylor pleading for souls in China, starting every day on his knees. We find Jonah, where is he? He's praying from the belly of the whale. He's asking God to protect and preserve his life. Matthew 7 and verses 7 through 8 tell us we are to seek, to ask, to knock. It is not wrong to ask God for the things that we need, the little things that we need in life. We are to seek, to knock, to ask, and our sweet, gracious, heavenly Father meets us, and He answers these prayers many times according to His good pleasure and His good will. So prayer is communication with God. The purpose of prayer is to know Him. But we want to talk just for a few moments, since this is kind of a series giving the basics, refreshing us in reminding us about the basics of prayer. Today I just wanted to touch on a few of the types of prayer, and we're not going to certainly take the time and, and go through all these in terms of defining and discussing them, but I did want you to know this is just a short list. As I turn to the next slide, you might think, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of ways, modes and styles, types of prayer we see them in the Bible, and I think it's important for us to be reminded of them before I look at the, the three really attitudes of prayer that I'd like us to take home with us. 
as we approach God in prayer. Well, let's take a look at this list. You know, if you've been around church and Sunday school, and maybe perhaps you've been to Bible college, you've seen this. And I hope you got an A on the test, the types of prayer there are. And this is a short list. There are many others, but let's just look through them very quickly. And then three attitudes in prayer that I think are so vital. And this will be more or less a review for some of you. But there are prayers of petition. I mentioned that. It's okay to ask God. He wants us. He invites us to ask Him. Ye have not because ye what? Ye ask not. It's amazing. Uh, have you ever uh, had a child come up to you and say as a parent, Dad, I wished I would have had this. I, I guess I can take this off. Yeah, I wish I had this or that or the other thing. And their eyes get big and say, well, son, I didn't even know you needed that. I didn't know you wanted that. And, uh, and, I, and, 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 and the Lord just looks at us. And I wonder if sometimes in heaven, when we get there, I wonder if God will look at us and say, you know, it's been pretty silent between me and you. The conversation has been one way from heaven to you. You've not asked for much. From Hilda. That cartoon or not, she's got this witchy hair. and She's by the wishing well. And she looks up at, uh, or she looks into the well, and she thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. God wants us to have these prayers of praise. He has done so much for us. I wonder sometimes if I were to ask you, so this week, tell me one thing that God has done. He's done everything for us, right? But can you give me one good thing and have you praised him? Have you thanked God for that? I, I'm way behind on thanking God, aren't you? for all that he means, how good he is. There are prayers of praise or prayers of intercession. What is that? that? That's the prayer that we make on the behalf of others. What a wonderful prayer. I commend you to read it. Ephesians chapter 1 is Paul prays for the Ephesians. Daniel, Paul is praying again for the captives there. The prayers of intercession. There are also prayers in Nehemiah chapter 1. The Lord uh, through Nehemiah is begging God to just to do wonderful things through his people to return them again. Worship, adoration. This is a great, you could call this an attitude of prayer, but it's a type of prayer. As we go to God, don't forget to worship him. He is indeed God, after all. And so in your prayer life, I wonder, the word means to kiss the hand of a king, to bow before him. Have you thought about that as you pray? When's the last time you have adored God? In the disciplines of a godly life, one of the, one of the sessions will talk about worship. It's almost the forgotten jewel in our church. We're so much in a routine and in a rut. I wonder if you have 
taken time to worship. Prayers of consecration. A few weeks ago, we uh, gathered as deacons and pastors right here. We did this with Joe Taylor and my son Ethan as we prayed a special prayer of consecration or dedication. The Lord does that with his disciples. John 17, he con- Lord, I'm going to go out of the world. I'm going to leave them here. So protect them from the world. He says, they are, uh, uh, they're of me, so bring them to see me. After the end of life, I dedicate them in their service to you. Prayers of concert. I think parents, I, it's so wonderful. I know once in a while we do this here, right in the front, but we take our, our little newborns and we dedicate them and the parents to a life of service. That's an important prayer, consecration. They're prayers of confession and repentance. Do you know the first prayer that God hears from you that makes you part of his family is this one? Oh Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I confess to you that, that I can't save myself, but understand you died for me. You were buried and rose again to prove that you're God and that you love me and that you invite me to come, not based on my works, but Lord, I confess to you my inability to save myself and I trust what you did. And you alone on that cross of Calvary in my place, your atoning blood for me and my sin. I confess to you I need you to be my Savior and Lord. That brings you into relationship with Christ. Have you done that? Have you prayed that prayer? Based on that prayer, the Lord says you become the children of God. Confession then after we are saved. It's almost a daily thing, isn't it? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. When's the last time you bowed your head and said, Lord, here's here's another area where I've failed you. I've sinned. And I want you to forgive me. Aren't you glad as a parent He doesn't cast you out, but He forgives you? There's the prayers of faith. This is a special prayer. I think we see it kind of at the end of the time with the apostles, but it does have bearing even today. These are not men who are faith healers, but there are prayers of faith by men who understand the will of God and pray great prayers. Sometimes healing is involved in that. James chapter 5 tells us about the prayers of faith. Then there's prayers that are corporate. We come together as a church. I've been given a book by one of our church members about united in prayer. Ron gave me that, Ron Carroll. I've been blessed by it. Do you know that there is great power in corporate praying, coming together and begging God and beseeching God to do what he already wants to do in our church, to bring revival, to build our church? There's great power in that. Let me read one of the... Really, one of the authors of uh, the Great Awakening, although God was the, the Spirit of God, was really the author of that. But I want to, to read in, in Puritan language some of the words of Jonathan Edwards as he encouraged his people to pray. Now, there's secret prayer. You have to go in your closet, Mac, Matthew 6 tells us, 6, verse 6, and there in secret pray. That's the boiler room, your heart. But here's what Jonathan Edwards said about the Great Awakening in the late 1600s. He said, there's something powerful. Church, I want you to hear this, even though we don't have speakers on today. Can you hear me in the back row? There's something powerful. There's something powerful. Did this just turn off? Did I put it back on my... I hear it crazy. It might help me. Right? There's something powerful. Jonathan Edwards says, 
about God's people when they pray. God appears. God visits His people in mercy to, uh, to, to the church. He helps the church. He pours out His Spirit. He revives His work. He advances His kingdom. The church prays in a united way. There comes, here's His words. This is good. Old English, there comes a sweet disposition to greater engagedness in the worship and service of God, which again, his words, listen, (laughs) have you ever seen pictures of the Puritans, their faces? They don't look that excited. Here's what he said, this true prayer excites in our church a great concern for our spiritual and everlasting good, disposing our church to cry out for spiritual mercies. It is through prayer that God gives the true energy for His work. You thought it was music. You thought if we pump up the volume and jazz up the service in the preliminaries, then there would be an excitement in the church. I think singing ought to be from the heart. Amen? But it is the prayer of God as incense from His people going up saying, God, would you enliven, revive, refresh your ministry in the midst of the years? Would you do something where everybody, once it's done, will point to you and say, that must be of God. Didn't come from the orchestra or the band or the worship team. That was a heaven-sent revival based on the Word of God, based on the prayers of the people crying out for God. These are the prayers that are so important. They're corporate and secret. You can't just come to church and stand up and pray. You know what you need to do? You need to start in the quiet place of your secret. And I mentioned this, when you have your Bible time, try to get to a place where you are undistracted. Oh, how we come to the Lord. And you know what we have? Here's how we, here's how we pray. We come to the Lord and Usually, as I mentioned earlier, we're trying to put him in somehow. We've got a granola bar in one hand, right? (laughs) We've got our cell phone in the other hand. You say, well, that's where I keep my Bible. And we're distracted. Our hearts are divided. We're munching on whatever breakfast food it is, trail mix. And we're on our way from one event to the other. And we say, throw up a quick prayer, Lord. Bless, Bless me now. Bless our church. and Bless my family. And again, help me get through Atlanta. And so God in heaven, and and hear me, church, God in heaven wants us to come to him in secret with an undivided, undistracted mind where we come to him and say, Lord, and we'll get to this in the, really, in in the next few minutes in the atmosphere or the attitude of prayer, but we have to come to him in a way that's transparent and real, and we have time for Him. And then there's imprecatory prayer, not to say much about this. I don't know that in this dispensation of time we ought to pray down fire and judgment upon our neighbors and their dogs. We see this word imprecatory used, and we see it many times in the Old Testament. Judgment is what it's the word on the screen. Psalm 55, remember 58, 59, other places. David is praying down God's judgment. Uh, and yet in the New Testament, what do we hear? You pray for your enemies. 
Uh, pray for those that despitefully use you. Imagine if your neighbor was Saul before he got saved. You would probably pray in one of these prayers, Lord, he's, he's attacking the church. Take him out. And yet God, you, I think these prayers in the Old Testament have the inspiration of God behind them. Be careful about praying down God's judgment. We can certainly ask God to, to judge righteously, but leave it in his hands. Uh, especially those who are continually, consistently against the agenda of God, the kingdom of God, and they express it in a vocal way, perhaps in the public square, we might pray, Lord, would you stop them? Would you bring judgment upon them? They are hurting your nation, your cause. They're hurting the cause of Christ around us, so I think that's important. These are types, this isn't the full list, but I thought I'd give you an idea of the different kinds of prayer because this is kind of a survey of prayer in the Bible. And then, as we wrap things up today, let's look at the attitudes that I think are so important in prayer. The attitudes necessary in prayer. Now we're in Jeremiah 29. You wondered if we'd ever get there. Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's begin reading in verse 11, a very famous verse. They are returning from captivity. And the Lord says some things to them about the relationship that was so vital to be reestablished once they got back in the homeland. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. We were reminded in Sunday school this morning that this was really the message of Nehemiah. We're rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple, and now we need to restore worship, proper prayer and worship, Bible study. I've got thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And then shall ye call upon me, then shall ye go and pray unto me, and I will hearken or listen unto you. Amazing. That's another sermon, isn't it? When God listens to man. Prayer is a two-way street. And ye shall seek me. And what a wonderful promise. Ye shall find me when ye shall what? Search for me with all your heart. Call upon me. Come unto me. The Bible is full of invitations to pray. Prayer is a two-way conversation with God. He's asking you, come, speak to the divine one. So when does God listen to you? When you bring your heart in prayer. And let's just take a look at that. Pray, first of all, heartfelt prayers. Again, this list of three attitudes in prayer that are vital is not exhaustive. But I wanted to point out three attitudes that are so vital. Bring to the prayer room... Your heart. With whom in the Bible, think about this, with whom in the Bible, New Testament, was God most upset with? I hear whispers. Matthew 23, woe! Woe unto you! Fill in the blank. Scribes and Pharisees. You're like whitewashed sepulchers. On the outside, you're beautiful. Inside, you're full of dead men's, uh, dead men's bones. And you devour widows' houses. And yet you come to the public square in the temple and you stand up and you pray long prayers. Prayers are not measured by their length, but by their strength. And these men were hypocritical. They, they prayed in public thinking, all right, look at me, aren't I spiritual? 
But inside there was no reality, no relationship with the Lord. So he's saying here in Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your heart, your, your genuine heart of praise and worship. So bring a devoted heart. We come so often distracted, divided. We've got one eye on the Facebook post, one hand full of bills and concerns and worries, the other hand perhaps on a TV clicker. And We say as we go out of the door with a mouthful of breakfast, Lord, I love you. But I'm just trying to fit you in to my busy life. Nothing wrong with praying on the way to something or here and there. We see these prayers in the Bible. But would you please stop when you pray? Find a place and a time. Make it consistent. And in that private chamber there, dear friend, with an undistracted mind, give God your heart. Transparency, genuine prayers come from the heart. Oh, how God wants not to hear a rehearsed prayer. Oh, thou God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, just say, here, here am I, a sinner. I'm in your presence, and I need you. Weak, but you're strong. I'm the clay, but you're the potter. Mold me and make me while I'm waiting. Yielded and still enough of me, more of you. God, I need you. So pray with a devoted heart. As you, as you bow before him, as you sit the kitchen table before him, in your private moments with Him, just expose your heart to Him. That's the prayer He's looking for. He's asking from heaven, Dear son, daughter, may I have your attention, please. Parents, parents, have you ever, have you ever taken the face of your son or daughter like this? Stop them as they're running through the living room and just stopped them and said, look at me. Give me your eyes, son. And they're usually doing this, right? Look at me. I want to tell you something. Prayer is that moment where we are fully focused on God. It is not us telling God what we want, like that room service illustration. It is God expressing to us what He wants. Give me your full heart. Give me your full attention. Dr. Cronemeyer, when he coached soccer, used to say to the kids at halftime, just give me your heart. Quit playing the game without heart. Give it all you've got. Come to the Lord with a heart full of devotion. There's a, a second attitude in prayer that I think is so key, and I think moms will get this a lot better than we men are. But if you take your, your Bible and go to Psalm, the book of Psalms, and uh, then find, if you don't mind, find Psalm 131. Three verses is all. Psalm 131. Just three verses about this attitude of prayer. I remember studying this 
psalm years ago, and I read it, all three verses, which we will do, and I thought to myself, what in the world does a weaned child have to do with prayer? Now, these psalms are called the package of the ascending psalms. That is, they were sung to prepare the heart for worship at the temple. They were traveling songs that they sang en route to the temple those three times a year when they were supposed to meet in corporate mass there at the temple to worship the Lord. And so it was preparatory. And this little psalm, now let's read it and see if you get it. Mothers might get it, but most of us men are clueless. Look at Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty. It's not proud. My eyes are not lofty. The picture behind me is the picture of a little girl, I'm guessing two, three, somewhere in there, and she's looking into the eyes of her mother. My, my eyes are not lofty. I, I don't exercise myself in great matters beyond my ability or scope to comprehend. Now remember, this is coming from David. He's the king. If, if anybody can do anything, it's the king. Or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Two times that word is used. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. What is a weaned child have to do with our devotional life, our prayer life, and the attitudes with which we approach God. Well, uh, most mothers know about this more than we who are men. <clears throat> but typically, a child is weaned off his mother's milk before he's one year old. Uh, he, he, he's sometimes a little older, of course, in the uh, Near East culture of the Bible times. More solid food is introduced. And you know, notice I'm reading a little more now because I'm, I'm a learner too here about weaned children. Solid food is introduced as the child gets to one and two and so forth. And the mother is not nearly as occupied uh, with breastfeeding as she had been as, uh, uh, with, with her infant. And when the child is weaned, there's a relational shift as well. The, the child learns not to see, just, see his mother just as breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> but she, the child, she or he, begins to see his mother not as nourishment, but the nourisher as there is a troublesome moment before the child or during the weaning process, that child is anxious and troubled, doesn't know what mama's doing. Uh, and so mama's still trying to do that separation that's so necessary as the child gets older, puts, her, puts that child on solid food. And she is getting that child ready for the necessary maturing that comes from, from more than milk. And it's a little bit troublesome for the child and for mom. Child doesn't confuse, doesn't quite understand. Why am I pushed to the table? Why do I have to eat this stuff? <laughs> and yet the Bible doesn't say we're to come to the Lord as a child in the weaning process. But we're to come to the Lord as a weaned, past tense, child. What does a weaned child know? Well, the picture is worth a thousand words. The picture is of a child who is leaning now on her mother's chest, not clamoring for milk, but trusting her mother to provide everything she needs. 
She's weaned off milk, her mother's milk, and now she's just trusting. She doesn't know where the groceries are going to come from. This little girl doesn't know what's going to happen five years from now. She doesn't know, but she's got eyes for what? Her mother. Sometimes a picture does paint a truth. And the Lord is telling us, listen, I, I, I want to wean you off self-preservation prayers, off all that you come to me with thinking, that's life. You thought your schedule and your health and your finances, and that's life for you. That's what you live for. But you must trust me, and as you do, you're going to find this satisfaction and contentment in me and not my provisions. Do you get that? So, does this child have all she needs, even though she perhaps isn't on the bottle anymore? She does. Why? She's leaning on her mother, right? And so we come into the presence of God, and usually we have a list of all the milk items we need. Lord, you, you have got to give me all this stuff that's my life. And my life, I found this out, my life is, and I'm, I'm, I'm just in the 60s barely. I'm finding out that God is weaning me from this world and getting me ready for the next one. And so he's teaching me that all I need is him. How does that inform and change my prayer life? <laughs> well, I, I don't run to God immediately. Not that I don't have that list <laughs> about my children's teeth and my you know, gutters that are falling down, whatever it is. I, I still have that list, but it's put behind this attitude that, Lord, I, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Uh, to take care of my needs that are eternal and spiritual. And Lord, I, I just want you to know that regardless of this laundry list or grocery list that I have, that I've lived on, that I thought was so important, this milk, you're preparing me for mature things. And you think about this. You think about David, who, who's penning these words. He says, I don't lift my eyes for things that are too haughty for me. I, I He's the king, but he learned that after he was anointed as a teenager, for 10 years he was chased around like a, like a rodent, really, a, a, by Saul, to, to be killed for 10 years. And then for seven and a half years later in Hebron, he only ruled over part of the nation. So for 17 and a half years, he was waiting on God, his eyes. And he, he didn't, like Saul, usurp his place. He didn't try to offer a sacrifice like Saul did. And when he was run out of the kingdom and people were cursing him, he didn't say, kill that guy. He could have. He had the power to do that. But he said, no, I know my place and that God is satisfying me. God, I am content with the fact that he is sovereign and I am not. He is God. And I am not. And so I lean upon the everlasting arms, looking only to his face. 
asking only for his grace. That's the attitude of prayer that we need. And one more thing, and I know there's a, we could enlarge this list, but there's this wonderful truth that we are to pray hopeful prayers. We're to pray in hope for things. Um, if, if God is a God who truly provides for us, we are to pray with a hopeful heart. Psalm 77 is where I want us to go just for a moment as we kind of wrap this up. Psalm 77 uh, is a great psalm. It's a psalm of Asaph, really, and he is writing from a heart that's very, very troubled. You ever have a troubled heart? I have. I think most of us have. And there's all kinds of complaints, I'm sure. He's asking in verse 7, will the Lord cast me off forever? Seems like heavens are brass. Prayer life isn't accomplishing anything. And, I, and Lord, I, I don't know that you're, you're ever going to work again. Does his promise, verse 8, pray, fail forevermore? He's being very transparent. He's being very heartfelt. He's expressing to God his uh, heart. It says, have you been forgotten to be gracious to me? Have you in anger shut up your mercies? No, he says, I will hope in the God that, do, that does great things. I don't know if you've seen the verse because most of us walk in in a hurry to the sanctuary here, but there's a little verse over the door. It's found in verse 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? I like to tell God, in the midst of my valleys, I like to tell God, now God, I've heard it said <laughs> that you're a great God. And, and, and I, take, I take God back to the Old Testament. He knows it pretty well. And I share with him, Lord, do you see how you got those people across and out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, all those miracles during the 40 years. Lord, you, you did all that. And I, I, want, I want to hope and expect that same God to work in my life today. Amen? And not only do I want you to work in my life, I do not want to expire my whatever years you've got left for me. I do not want to expire without Psalm 78, expressing the same hope in a God that is powerful to my children. I want my kids to see how big you are. So Lord, if you don't mind, express yourself in powerful ways where you get all the credit. In my day, my church, and in my generation. Is it okay to pray hopeful prayers? You see, God has never failed. One word of all of His promise. And God is not bound, duty-bound, to make my dreams come true. But every one of His words will come true. We have a great God. And church, I want you to know that. I want you to see that. And as you pray, it's okay to pin your hopes not on your dreams and desires, but on God's promises, His character. And they will not return void. We have a great God. So these attitudes, a hopeful heart, should eventuate then in Psalm 78 in this wonderful 
uh, wonderful truth that the generation to come, verse 6 of chapter 78, might know these, this great God, the children which should be born, declare it to their children that we might set our hope in God and not forget the works, the works of uh, the, the Lord himself in verses 6 and 7. Keep his commandments, forget the works of God. What a precious thing it is to know that truly my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Pray with a devoted heart, a heartfelt devotion, a humble heart, and a hopeful heart that our children might know the God that works. Great verse, truly, truly my soul Find satisfaction and rest, not just in provisions from God, though they are part of the prayer package, but my, my soul finds rest in God. So bring your heart, quiet your heart, hope in Him, and pray that He will do great things in your life. I was at a conference this week with some of the rest from the church, a few of us went, Governor Brian Kemp spoke, and he said, I want to tell you something, pastors, Christian leaders. This was Thursday. He says, every day I wake up, I know that God has a plan for this world and a plan for Georgia. He says, but every day I wake up, I don't know what that plan is. <laughs> he says, I'm not sure what God is up to, but I know his sovereign will will be accomplished, and I'm going to trust him and rest in God. What a great reminder. We may not know what the day will hold, but we know a God who holds the future. And so let's pray more than we do. Amen? Let's love the book. Let's study it more than we do. Read, reflect, reread, record, rejoice. Study the Word. It's a treasure. And then, wouldn't it be great if next Sunday we got together and you just said, I've been enjoying my prayer time so much. I've been spending time with God. I've been communicating with Him. And it's been sweet. He's been expressing His nature and His character to me. And I've been listening to God. I've come to Him with a heartfelt prayer, humble prayer, and a hopeful prayer. And I'm expecting God to keep His Word in my life and do exactly what He's planned for me. And the relationship has been so sweet. Father, we're grateful today for this time in, in your word, and I pray that you would make us better communicators with you. Lord, I would ask your forgiveness on my behalf for many days, perhaps my past, where I have simply not given you the focus and attention and prayer that I need. And Lord, I'm the one that loses. When we don't pray, Lord, I... Just give our church to you, and I pray that together, as a corporate body and then individually, that we would be known by our prayer life. And I commit this church to you in this regard, that we would be more consistent in reaching out to God, who wants to do great and mighty things that we know not of. Our heads are bowed this morning. Perhaps God has spoken to your heart about your prayer life. And just by the lifted hand, you'd say, would you pray that my life 
my communication with God would be more biblical, more consistent, more vital and vibrant. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Amen. Praise God. My hand is up too. God would work in our communication with Him, that it would grow, flourish. That one day when we get to heaven, God would not say, welcome home, stranger, but He would say, welcome home. It's been a great relation, great kinship. Anyone else say, pray for me that I would grow in this area in my life. Amen. Perhaps you're here, you've never prayed that prayer that changes you from uh, the family of death, the family of life. You've never asked God to save you, be your Savior, come into your heart and life and to save you from sin and give you a home in heaven. You've never prayed that, but today you'd like to. Would you in the quietness of this moment, without embarrassment, raise your hand Say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Pastor, I'd like to know that. God is a prayer away. Would you stand with me quietly then as we close with a... Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.